Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC, this is Money Talking. I'm Charlie Herman. This week is a part of our series, Crash Course. WNYC has been examining the stock market crash of October 19, 1987. On that day, the Dow Jones fell nearly 23%. It was the worst percentage drop in history. And in today's numbers, that'd be as if the Dow lost more than 4,500 points in one day. In 2008, on the worst day, the market lost about 777 points. And while each unhappy trading day is unhappy in its own way, there are lessons that the average investor like you and me can learn from them. And joining me is Ron Lieber, the Your Money columnist for The New York Times. Good morning, Ron. Hello. So when the crash came in 1987, the market had been rising for several years, setting new records. And similarly, our stock market right now has been rising for many years, just hit a new record this week of 23,000. How much should Main Street investors be worried about the possibility of another crash? I think it depends on what the money they have invested in the market is actually for, right? You need to think about the purpose, the point of the exercise. And if you are investing in stocks for the very long term because you want that money set aside to grow over very long periods of time, maybe you don't have to worry so much at all. Well, our series about the 87 crash looked at a lot of the reasons behind it, things like financial innovations or new ways of trading, computer trading, issues with regulation. And one of the comments I got from a coworker here actually was, should I be worried? Should I be burying gold in the Adirondacks and maybe learning how to mill flour? I'm not worried at all. Right. We have not come up with a better system or a better mechanism, a better investment than global stocks for people who want to invest money over the very long haul, particularly in retirement plans, you know, given the choices that we have. The stock market with a whole bunch of hiccups or, you know, falls off cliffs like happened in 1987 um, along the way has, you know, pretty reliably over most, you know, 40 or 50 year periods given us six, seven, eight percent. And if you want to be able to retire comfortably someday and use, you know, a standard retirement account to do that, it's not clear that there are any better options or or certainly higher yielding options, higher returning options than the stock market, as long as you can sort of maintain the discipline and ride out the bumps or the crashes, which do happen. We know this now and we sort of need to come to expect it. When the market's falling and all my instincts are saying, sell, 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 how do I overcome my fears? I think the best way to overcome your fears is to imagine the alternative, right? And ask yourself two questions. First of all, if I am tempted to sell because the market's gotten really high and I'm scared or it's fallen a lot, ask yourself whether you're really going to be smart enough to know when to get in or when to get out again. I mean, there are professionals who try to do this for a living and most of them do not succeed over the long haul. So if you don't actually know how to time the market, isn't it best, given what history tells us, just to hold your breath and stay in. And if you can't handle that, if you can't sleep at night, I'd suggest people ask themselves this question. What is the alternative to investing in stocks over the long haul as a way of funding big long-term goals? Because if stocks historically you know, have given us 6 or 7 8% over the very long haul, most of your other alternatives aren't going to do that for you or may not do it in a reliable way or in a way that creates liquidity, the ability to sell quickly when you need to. So if the alternative is savings accounts, 
those might earn 2% over a very long haul. Or if you want to invest in bonds, well, maybe you get 3 4 or 5% over the long haul. Those returns over time are going to mean that you're going to end up with a lot less money over decades. And maybe you're okay with that, right? Maybe you'll live smaller. Maybe you'll move someplace other than New York City that costs a lot less. Maybe you'll save twice as much and you'll sleep at night better. But not everybody can afford to do that. Not everybody wants to. And so therefore, stocks remain you know, the best option on a menu where we don't always necessarily have a lot of options. But it can feel frustrating when you look at the way that the markets work and you hear things about dark pools where stocks are being traded and you don't really quite understand how it works. You can feel very disempowered especially when you're putting your retirement savings out there and just seeing it move in ways that you ask yourself, why am I doing this? You may be offended, right, by the ways in which people are making money in dark pools, or you may feel manipulated by what's going on around the margins. But is the solution to sit it out, or is the solution to wait and be patient over many decades and just take whatever the market is willing to give you over the long term? All we have to go on so far is history, and history tells us that the market, in fact, will give us a decent return over the very long haul if we do not try to trade in and out and outsmart it the way the professionals do and just sit tight and cross our fingers. We know of no better way towards financial security in the retirement plans that we have than that for now. One of the things that people are advised to do is to invest in passive funds or index funds. I'm wondering how passive those should you be? Uh, How often should you check your index fund or recalibrate it. What advice do you have on that front? So passive is a problematic term because sometimes people think that the best thing that they should do or can do is invest in index funds, which don't try and pick particular stocks that will outperform the market, and they just buy everything in a particular segment, right? So you buy your index funds and you just let it ride. But the problem with that way of operating is that it is, in fact, too passive because if the stock market grows a lot, you may have more money in stock than you wanted, right? So you have to do what's known as rebalancing. Similarly, when the market uh, you know, crashed in 87 or fell in 2008, 2009, that would have been also a good moment to rebalance and buy more stocks. Another way to think about it, right, is that stocks are on sale at that point. So what are the lessons from the stock market crash of 1987? You know, the lesson of 1987 is that the world did not end. The market kept right on humming. And whenever the next one comes, we're all going to be tempted to uh, exclaim that this time is different somehow. But I see no evidence from the past to suggest that the next crash will suggest that some turning point or tipping point has come to pass that will change everything forever. Ron Lieber is the Your Money columnist for The New York Times. Ron, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And I'm Charlie Herman, and this is Money Talking from WNYC. 